Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters To Go. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. This is one of our special Satellite Sisters Word Right Festival podcasts. I'm so happy to be talking today to just an absolutely delightful writer and a delightful person, someone who's been so supportive of my writing career and an inspiration. She's also one of many, many kids, and I think that's why we love Claire Cook here at Satellite Sisters. You know Claire's name because she's written nearly a dozen books. Well, how many books have you written, Claire? 11, 12 books for women? Um, this is my 12. 12. Yeah. 11 novels and then my first nonfiction book. Yeah, That's right. Claire is here today to talk about Never Too Late. It's her new book about reinvention. So listen up, Satellite Sisterhood, because (laughs) I know this is a topic that I get asked about all the time that you are interested in. And Claire, who sort of built a career writing main characters who have reinvented themselves, all of a sudden looked at her own life and said, hey, I've done some reinvention too. She's become a reinvention expert speaking at conferences all over the country. And now she has put all her secrets down on paper. Her new book is called Never Too Late, Your Roadmap to Reinvention Without Getting Lost Along the Way. Hi, Claire. Welcome back to Satellite Sisters. It's so great of you to have me again, Lee, and thank you so much. I'm such a fan of all of you, and I I sort of feel like I'm almost a little bit in the family since we totally, totally, yeah. Yeah, No, it's All Star Satellite Sister is how we think of you, Claire. I mean. You know, you have been writing fiction with the reinvention theme for a really long time. What made you actually decide, you know what, I should write a nonfiction book about reinvention. Just take it head on. Why now? Well, you know, I really have wanted to write this book for years, but um, so a lot of things aligned to make it happen now. But I think the biggest one was finally I could. Every time I brought it up, through the course of my, you know, 11 novels, which I loved writing, I'd say, you know, everywhere I go, people just want to talk about reinvention. Um, you know, maybe I should write a book about that. And I'd get the, we'll see, which, you know, we know what that means when you say it to your kids. <laughs> um, and it, and it just, you know, could I have just written it anyway? Of course, but I was, um, under contract to write novels. And I just, where do you find the time to actually do it? And so I'd go out and talk about it. And and certainly my novels fit in, but not in as direct a way as a nonfiction book about reinvention does. And um, so finally, it was just the time was right. It, It was also time for me to kind of tell the truth about a lot of things, which I always do in person. But, you know, it can be a little bit different in interviews. You just don't have time to get into it all, um, unless I'm talking to you, and I know you will. <laughs> but um, so it, it it just happened. And I just I, I came into this with a place from a place of heart, just saying, 
I want to share everything I have that might possibly help another woman in her own reinvention. And if it turns into a long blog post, great, I'll stick it up on my website. But as soon as I started writing it as a book, it just felt right. And I kept going and I kind of, you as a novelist, I think will get this. I just kind of kept layering the stories um, the way I would if I were writing a novel and I thought, I don't know if you can write a nonfiction book this way, but I'll find out. (laughs) And it kind of, you know, I think the narrative structure makes it a fun read, hopefully. I, you know, completely. Yeah. I was, I was really uh, privileged to read it sort of ahead of its publication. uh, Well, I was privileged to include (laughs) the Satellite Sisters too. So thank you for all the great stuff you gave me. Well, that's what makes it fun. It's your story. And we'll get into this a little bit later, but you also talk to like dozens and dozens and dozens of other people. So completely. And not a celebrity in there. No, no. uh, Yeah. I miss Gwyneth's voice in it, but. um... (laughs) She tried hard to get in. She wanted a little goop in there, but no, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but I think that's the kind of the layering it, all told the whole like picture of Never Too Late is that you did it, but also dozens and dozens and dozens of other women have done it in different careers. Yeah. You have sort of changing from, well, we've told your story on Satellite Sisters before, but you're right. You did tell the truth in this book. There's a lot of honesty in this book, Claire, because I Yeah, had that kind was a new experience. <laughs> yeah. I had kind of the Hollywood version of your story. You were the sports mom. You wrote your first novel at 45. A book or two later, Must Love Dogs was your breakout novel. It was made into a movie by Gary David Goldberg. It's a cult classic. And that was just, that's like a spine-chilling, fantastic novel novelist as hero story, but it was a lot more complicated than that, wasn't it? So what what was that leap? What was that leap like to actually go, okay, now I'm going to have to tell the whole story. And then, and then we want to know the whole story of how Must Love Dogs got made. Well, you know, I've always told the story when I was out on tour or talking to women, you know, I've never really hidden any of that stuff, but I, I think a Part of wanting to write this book was I realized I'm never going to meet everyone in the world to be able to tell them the truth that that um, just to demystify all that stuff. It's so easy, you know, for me to look at your life and think, oh, how glamorous she's one of the satellite sisters and this and that. But you and I have talked and we know that, yeah, some really good stuff has happened to all of us. But there's also the flip side of what really happened. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. You know, it was just important to share those those pieces of it. So in this particular case, what happened, and, and also I love to write books with happy endings. So, you know, I also have that tendency <laughs> to only want to tell the good stuff. But if we don't share what really happens with other women, how are they going to um, figure out how to do it for themselves in their own lives? And I really, really wanted to do that. So in the Must Love Dog story, what's kind of out there is that I was this unknown author who, you know, someone plucked me from the, the, the um, I don't know, the, the pile of unknown books and, and made me a star with the movie, which not that I've ever been a star, but that was kind of the thing. But it really didn't happen that way at all. Must Love Dogs was one my second novel, and it was one of those lucky books that got a lot of breaks. So it was doing real well as, as a book that just people were um, telling friends, you know, a lot of good word of mouth was happening. 
Um, I did have a film agent. There were some nibbles. Things almost happened, as you and I both know, and then they don't, and then, you, you know, they do. But I was doing a book tour for the paperback at this point. It had come out in hardcover first, and I was at a little independent bookstore in Vermont, and after I left, you know, you sign the extra copies, and they make a nice display as you walk in the door. And so I went on to the next state or wherever I was going um, for the next event, and the next day, Gary David Goldberg, who created MASH and, and he didn't create MASH he wrote for MASH he created Spin City and Family Ties and um, he has a, had a house in the area and he walked in just looking for something to read and he saw the pile of books picked up a copy of Must Love Dogs his five dogs were waiting for him in the car <laughs> he turned it over I mean really how lucky can you get the universe right. was so throwing that to me and um turned it over, saw it was about a big Irish family. His wife, Diana Meehan, was from a big Irish family. And then he took it home. No intention of making a movie. He'd already made one movie, but most of his career was TV. And um, just took it home to read it. And he said he poured a glass of wine and um, sat down in his favorite chair and didn't get up until he finished the book and maybe the wine, too. Yeah. And then um, the, the next morning, he called my literary agent wow. in New York and asked if anybody had at it and you know he just was in love with the book and wanted to make the movie so you know see that's the hollywood version right yeah. there like and oh okay and then the next yeah. thing you know you're on the red carpet but it really didn't happen that way it didn't happen that way so it looked like it was and i'm completely stunned i have I'm, i mean i'm still um you know, not getting any of this as it's happening. But so a, an offer was made, which was a crazy offer, you know, should the movie actually happen. I don't know if everyone realizes this, but first your movie, your book gets optioned and you get a nice chunk of money for that and it pays some bills. But when those main cameras roll, that's when the big payout is. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, I know you know that, but <laughs> listeners may, yeah. Um, that's and I what, think that big chunk of money is getting less and less these days. But yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, this, and again, this was the movie came out in 2005. Right. So we were all living different lives yes. before 2008. So, <laughs> so, but anyway, like, changing if it were to happen. So, so a contract comes in and of course an offer is made. And of course I say yes to everything because it's just complete <laughs> fantasy to me, uh, but it's a lovely offer and paperwork is drawn up. And then one day my literary agent calls and furious and said, I cannot believe I have to tell you that the offer has been rescinded. And you know, it's gone and you just do not do this once the paperwork has been drawn up. And I'm completely numb. I have no idea what she's saying. Like I'm hearing words, but it means nothing. So I was reaching, I just reached for something positive to say, because really not having a movie deal was just more normal to me than right, having, than having so, right. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, whatever. So I said, well, you know, Lisa, the, the, the good news is Gary David Goldberg thinks I can write. Can you get his address so I can send him a thank you note? And she just went crazy. Which is She's such <laughs> a nice, a nice, well-bred thing to do. Yeah. yeah. I went to parochial school, you know. <laughs> He's kind of, he broke my heart and crushed my soul, but yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah, yeah. send him a thank you note for that. Well, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. You know? I, I so I was just looking for something. And honestly, I was thinking, 
it's not like he pulled out of it, or at least he didn't say he pulled out of it because I couldn't write after all. So I was still hanging on to the fact that he was initially attracted to the book, yes. you know? So, um, so anyway, she got to, called me a Pollyanna or whatever. And she, but she, uh, I persisted and she eventually emailed me the um, mailing address for sit, you know, Ubu production, sit Ubu sit yeah. from the end of his things. And so I wrote him, a thank you note, um, a long meandering thank you note saying, um, telling him how, what a big fan I was of his work and how I'd been watching, you know, seeing his byline since, uh, not his byline, his credits since, um, you know, I was in college and on and on and on. And I mailed it off to him and, you know, it's done, it's over. And, um, and then uh, I don't know, you know, a few days, a week later, I, a fax came rolling into my office. This is like way back in the day of fax, <laughs> faxes. And um, it was from him. And he said, from Gary David Goldberg, and he said in all his years in Hollywood, it was the nicest, you know, the kindest, most humane letter he'd ever received. And he wanted me to know why he pulled out of the deal. And he had broken up with his agent and he hated Hollywood and it was an ugly business and he was never going to work in it again. Of course, as I got to know him better later, I realized he had these meltdowns periodically. <laughs> um, but what he didn't want to do was tie up my novel when it was at its most valuable because he was convinced someone would make must love dogs into a movie. So of course, I'm coming from the pl place of needing to pay bills and having, right. you know, expensive kids with expensive you know, activities and, um, you know, all of that. So I'm thinking, oh, just tie it up. I don't even care if you make it. Do you know what that option money could do for me? Um, you know, it could, it could, um, I could get a new used minivan. <laughs> so, but anyway, of course I didn't because what was the point? So, um, so I just, um, sent him a fax thanking him for explaining and um, he had also said he had just come back from a long walk with his dog so I wished him more long walks with his dogs and all of that and you know that was it that was the the end sent it off to him and he faxed me back to thank me for my fax and then I thanked him you know faxed him again and we just started faxing, faxing. each other yeah, we, you know, who has a fax pal? I had a fax pal. And we just. For one you know, brilliant moment in time. But when, yeah. I, when I read that story in your book, Never Too Late, I thought there are so many lessons in this story right here. Because how many times, no matter what business you're in, has something fallen apart or a deal hasn't materialized or you know, something doesn't yeah. quite happen where we, you stomp off, you're bitter. If you're the person, you know, my case, you hang your head like, oh, I failed. I didn't sell this. I didn't sell that. I and, failed. and I think all of us have been in that position where we feel like, well, that would have been great if it happened. But it, to know that you could actually revive, resuscitate the whole project just by doing a decent thing. There's a lot of life lessons in there, Claire Cook. Well, Leandro, and you know, the thing is, the other piece of that is how often do we step back and let other people handle our lives, you know, and as a, as an author, you're often not supposed to step in, right. like that's, you're supposed to leave that to the professionals, let your agent speak to that person, let your editor speak to that person. And 
anytime something has really worked out for me and not to put down all these wonderful people who have supported me, but it's been because I jumped in and did it myself. And, you know, Gary said many times in, in, in several interviews that he never, ever, ever would have circled back to the, my book had we not become friends. If I had not done that, it, he said he would have optioned any other book in the world because he knew he did a bad thing by pulling out, you mm -hmm. know? But I made it okay because we reconnected and we were friends. So it, I, I think it really is a lesson that I learned that, um, you know, take the high road, do the right thing. We all like to think it's all about us. I mean, you know, something, it happened because I didn't, you know, maybe he liked someone else's book better and nobody wanted to tell me that or whatever. You know, we all, it's so easy to think the, the universe revolves around us. But really, the reason he pulled out had nothing to do with me. So um, because I, I, you know, let that be okay, it may well have been that he decided to never make a movie, but when he did, I was right there. So I don't know that I could have done that on purpose. It would have been, if I had tried to manipulate that situation, right. I think it would have shown and he would have, I mean, how many people would, did he probably have in his face trying to get him to make a movie? But I think because it was real, because it was authentic and, um, you know, just do those things. And what's the worst that could have happened? He wouldn't have made the movie. Well, he wasn't going to make it anyway. So what, what do you have to lose? Right, right. Well, so I, and I think a lesson. lot of people go out of jobs. They're burning bridges. They're putting things up on Twitter. They're, you yeah. know, posting yes. their grievances on Facebook. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes just swallowing hard and, you know, sure, taking I the high road. Him. I could have said yeah. there at my kids' talk college tuition or something. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just, I always, always think you take the high road. But I, I, I also did genuinely see a compliment in there that he, I mean, you know, the fact that he even read my book, let alone that he liked it, you know. So, um, and all throughout the movie experience, when it finally happened, um, we kept the communication very directly between the two of us. And um, that is rarely done. And I've had other books optioned and I was never able to have that sort of situation happen. And I'm kind of convinced that's a part of why they have not come to fruition. I think that we need to get in there and be in charge of our own lives and, you know, do it with, you know, grace and courtesy and, and, um, it be as nice as you can about it, but get in there and make it happen. You know, you actually write, though, ironically, and never too late, your roadmap to reinvention that because Must Love Dogs was such a success, you, people didn't stop talking about it for years. You know, here we are talking about it, uh, you know, six, seven years later, and you had all these other books come out and books that did well, and you were out there speaking, and, you know, you were whining. I think you used the word whining to your yeah. agent. Why does <laughs> why do people only want to talk to me about Must Love Dogs, you know, and, uh, and you had to actually come to terms with that it's, success. You had to learn to re-love your dog, didn't you? I love that line. I thought that was great. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it was the oddest thing. And I think it's, it's another, it was really important for me to write about that because it's that grass is always greener thing. You look at someone who's been lucky enough to have a movie or to get a book published or to, you know, whatever. Any, a single business success, you know, oh, she's Absolutely. the one that created this campaign or, you know, her, yeah. you know, she, she did X, Y, and Z. Well, yeah. 
exactly. lot of people have one big thing that they are known for, even though they work for years and years and years. Absolutely. And, and I think that, um, if I had come to terms with that right away, I'd probably be writing must love hedgehogs now. <laughs> I would have had no, you know, that would have been the extent of my career. I would have gone from, you know, D E F G, you know, just kept going. And I don't think. Hey, that hey worked been... for Sue Grafton. So don't. Yeah, absolutely. But for me, I don't think there would have been a lot of growth there. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not looking back in that sense at all. I'm really proud of every book I've written. I think I've grown a lot as a writer. But I also think I made it, I I was so determined to escape Must Love Dogs because it was just in my face everywhere. I mean, I I said this in the book, but literally I would go to a cocktail party and someone would always come up to me and say, do you ever think you'll write another book? Well, I'd written 10 since (laughs) Must Love Dogs, but it was like they just, I'd get some great publicity, but it, you know, and instead of showing the book I was out you know, talking up behind me on the screen, you know, um, uh, you know, at a local television affiliate or something, there would be must love dogs. And it's like, hello, I've got this other book out. So it it got really complicated. And um, so I had a hard time with that. And then finally, it just it was just one of those great epiphanies. I said, this is ridiculous. I've had one of the luckiest breaks. Mm -hmm. What you know, what's why am I whining? So I don't know that it actually changed my behavior in any specific way, but it just flipped it. And, and suddenly I'm, I was okay with it. And I'm just thinking, this is a great identifier. If, and it's a great door opener, to be honest. If I mention must love dogs, it, it can kind of get me in. So um, it's wonderful if you're lucky enough to get something like that. I don't think you should let it consume you, but um, use it. Use what you've got. We're it's talking to there. we're talking to Claire Cook. She's an author, a reinventor, and now she's becoming a small media empire. Her, <laughs> her new book is called Never Too Late: Your Roadmap to Reinvention Without Getting Lost Along the Way. For you, Claire, it is a departure. You read it, but you're also putting the book out yourself. You have spent the last couple of years really reinventing yourself, and I think it's easy for people to hear, "Oh, you're a writer, and that's great." But you are becoming sort of a self-publisher. You've bought back all your own books. You're sort of completely running your own career and your own website now. Um, Have you had any second thoughts? Because that is a big leap from writer to small media empire. Well, you know, it's not something I chose necessarily. I I think, you know, so many of us... um, are we doing things we would have chosen if the world didn't change so dramatically back in, say, you know, 2008-ish? And, um, you know, the publishing world is in a tailspin. And what happened for me is, and and for so many other authors, is that um, after being, I I mean, I had a fabulous ride. I was really, really lucky. I was, you know, um, with all the big publishers, being treated really well, being toured, you know, making um, wonderful advances. And suddenly it started to get a little bumpy out there because the publishing world was getting bumpy. and Like so many industries. You absolutely. Know? So absolutely. across the board, people have had to sort of relearn, retool, revamp Without their lives. Yep. And, you know, very much like what happened with the music world and the newspaper world and now the magazine world and so many others. So, um, so what, what what did it for me was that my books, my babies were not being well taken care of and they were also not getting out there to my readers who are my other babies who I love so much. So I, I just was 
had to get in there to take care of them. And um, my some of my backlist books, through a lucky fluke, I got back the rights to Must Love Dogs, which I tell in detail if anyone is interested in, in, in the book. But then five of my other backlist books, the, the publisher who had published them um, went under, were bought out by another publisher who absolutely demonstrated that they had no real interest in them. They were just kind of part of the fire sale. So I just wanted to get them back and get them out there at a good price so my readers could um, and potential readers mm-hmm. could get their hands on them. So it, it's not, you know, sometimes you do things that you wouldn't necessarily see yourself doing. But I've also, so I started Marshbury Beach Books, named after Marshbury, the fictional town in a lot of my novels, and just start hired a lawyer and started getting them back and putting them out there. And, you know, I think it's been a good thing for my books and for my readers because my books were being released at for $24.99 in hardcover and ebooks were up by 12 something. And now I can put my ebooks at, you know, $4.99 or, um, and, and the, even the paper books are maybe 12. So I just feel that that's a good thing that I can do. And, um, because but it is a totally different skill set than sitting yeah. down and writing fiction. And so did, yeah. how much, how much did you have to learn? <laughs> a lot. Yeah. A lot. But, but, <laughs> and I think know, technology I stops like... a lot of women. I think trying to like absorb new technology and absorb new knowledge stops a lot of women from reinventing whatever it is that they want to do. But you really embrace that, which is I admirable. love the technology. But for me, it's because, you know, I feel that if I'm motivated by really good reasons, you know, if I'm, I'm advocating for my books and my readers and, and, um, I can make a living at the same time and have more creative control. All those things are big motivators. In terms of the technology, I think you're so right. And I talk a lot about technology in in my book. Yes, you do. Yeah, it's very inspiring. Thank you. I just think it's so important because it is the thing. And whenever I go out and, and teach reinvention workshops and I tell people they absolutely, the one of the biggest pieces of advice advice I have is to get your tech together. I can see people's eyes glaze over it. Those are the ones that need to hear it. And if you start to look at it as a whole big picture, it's totally intimidating, but just take one thing at a time. So that's what I did. I thought, okay, I have to figure out how to get my rights back. That's one thing. I'll start Googling that and figure out how to do it. And then, okay, you know, how do I actually create a publishing company? How do I get books formatted? Who's going to, how do I figure out covers? And you just, if you look at the whole big picture, you'll freak out. But I think you and I, and a lot of um, the people listening know that from, uh, you know, the rest of our lives. I mean, writing a book, if I look at all the pages I have to write, I I just, (laughs) even after 12 books, I freak out. So you just look at what do I have to do today? And that's, I think, what's important. So for me, you know, it has to, I have to really be inspired by what I'm going after. And I have to think it matters. And, and it's a smart move. And then it's just break it down into manageable chunks and make yourself accountable and, you know, find out, start researching. I mean, we are so lucky to be able to just, you know, go online and you can find out anything in the whole world. It's, that's true. You know, yeah. I know 
you mentioned in the book Never Too Late when you first started, you used to have to buy that big book that said Publishers Marketplace. Oh, yeah. right. Market. Took forever. <laughs> like even just saying what's Gary David Goldberg's address, like that today you could find it out now. But like we used to have to like yeah. research agents and oh, all that, and it's just exactly. all out there now. I when I get emails like you know how do you find an agent, I'm like Google that. Don't email me. Just Google it. <laughs> Exactly. You know, I have to say, to be honest, that is part of the reason I wrote this book is because I'm sure this happens to you, too. You get asked the same questions over and over, and it just is so great to be able to say, oh, yeah, that's in there, too. Read this. Read that. And Well, I'm going to hand them your book now, Claire. I'm just going to carry <laughs> extra copies around with well, me. Well, I'm going to hand them my book, too, because, you know, I, I, I think and I remember asking all these questions myself, so they're absolutely part of the process, but I think it's important to have a place to go to get the answers. And, and, um, you know, it, it, it was, it just felt good to me to pull it all together. So you sound so excited about this new phase in your career that once again, you've reinvented yourself. Do you have moments of doubt or sleepless nights or, uh, don't we all, all. I mean, I, I think if you don't, you're probably in trouble because, you know, nothing is ever easy. It's a bumpy world we live in, but I'm in, you know, I, I, for me, if I'm doing it for the right reasons, if, you know, I'm hoping I love, speaking at conferences and at workshops and all of that. So this, this helps my own platform. I talk a lot about platform building in that way because everybody can't connect the dots between writing fiction where the heroine is reinventing herself and, you know, speaking about reinvention. So a nonfiction book helps a little in that way too. So, yeah, I mean, I think shaking it up is good for all of us and, um, I, I will certainly write more novels, but um, I loved writing. I was surprised how much I loved writing nonfiction. Once I got over the fact that, okay, I can't um, hide behind my characters anymore. I, I really, <laughs> if I'm going to do this right, I absolutely have to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So, um, but once I got over that, it was, it was kind of, you know, probably saved me a lot of therapy money. <laughs> You know, when women come to your reinvention speeches or when you see them on book tours, why do you think women in particular, I guess everyone wants to reinvent themselves, but I can't think of a conversation I've had with like more than one woman who's reached a certain age where she doesn't talk about, I need to do something about my career. I need to do something about this. Why do you think women in particular like desire reinvention? Well, you know, I, I, I think, um, and oh, I've talked to so many women about this and I know you have too. I think there are two basic categories. One is that, which was the person that I was, I hid from my buried dream. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, which was to write a novel, but I hid from it. And so I had just buried this dream. And eventually you just hit that place where you can't hide from it anymore. And um, and it's just time. And then I think there's another person who still hasn't figured out what she wants to be when she grow, grows up, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I think those are the, the two scenarios. But also as women, we so often put our own lives on hold because we're bringing up kids, we're, we're um, taking care of everybody else. We're, um, and then finally, that fades away a little bit if you're lucky. And, <laughs> and, you can, and there's a little time to do something, which is not to say you haven't been working and doing all these other things at the same time, but your focus has been on everyone else. And when that switches around, you know, why are so many women so powerful at midlife, you know, because we finally can be. 
Um, and I don't regret, I mean, I loved every bit of, you know, the whole mom thing and, and, and all of that, but it's, it's, it's just a it's time it's consuming. Great. It's, a, it it's is. so time consuming. It, it is. And, and so when that goes away, there's just so much more time. And I think there's also something that happened for me at midlife, which is you just have the courage to go for it. You know, I'm, I'm much less of a people pleaser. I'm much more able to say, okay, if I, you know, I'd rather fail big than not go for it. Right. And I, I did not have the guts to do that personally personally in my twenties. Right. And there, there is, there's a freedom in sort of not caring what people yeah. think about you anymore. So exactly. you might as well just go for it. You might, it's your timeline. You might as well do it. Exactly. And it's not all about, Oh my God, you know, how am I going to look? Is this guy going to ask me out? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, all that stuff kind of frees up a lot. It's, you know, so, so um, speaking of that, <laughs> we have a couple more minutes, but one of the things you do mention is you've had a hair reinvention and oh, that God. is exciting. <laughs> That's exciting. Speaking of no one's ever going to look at me right. again. Hi, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's Don't okay. take that the wrong way. I, yeah, I, I have no idea how the hair invention got in, but people seem to be so interested in Who knows? Maybe I'll get to write a new silver is the new black will be my next um, nonfiction book. Um, yeah, I just, um, I mean, I've been dying from my hair for so long since I don't even remember when it first started going gray. And um <clears throat> It was start. It stopped taking dye. It just did not want to be dyed. It was done. Hey, well, your hair was done. My hair was over it. My <laughs> hair was over it way before I was even thinking about it. So what do you do? And um and also I honestly I was planning my whole life around how long my roots would be and if I'd have time to go in and get them covered because I have brown hair and I'd get these, the skunk stripe. So I was always, always, so, you know, every, like every three weeks, it was insane. And, um, so finally I looked for, I just decided I was going to go for it and see what would happen. And I looked for a window of time and I walked around for about three months with a knit hat on my head. If I had to leave the house and was becoming borderline and agoraphobic. And, um, and I did it. I just went for it. And, um, so now I have sort of salt and pepper hair, but I'm adding, um, low lights, like darker hair. So I'm, I think I'm going for basic Cruella DeVille right awesome. now. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I just kind of like, I think if you can keep it looking intentional, so, and have, you know, so I'm trying to have a funky cut and adding different things. So I don't know how long it will last, <laughs> but I will never go back to that sort of solid color. I would just do a ton of different highlights or something. So, so if you want to learn how to fun. reinvent your hair, right. I, I, Ask me. <laughs> if you get nothing else from this interview, think about reinventing your hair. If you get nothing else. I know. Else. That probably made no sense. We, I kind of mumbled through that. But anyway, it was, um, you know, these are, these are the things that you just, you, you know, did I ever think I would do that? No. Did I have any desire to go au naturel? No. But, you know. I, I, I'm sort of glad I like it now. Well, you know, it's funny, Claire, you, I was in Cape Cod a couple of weeks ago and I mentioned to you, I was going and you told me, oh, you have to go to this beautiful bookstore where the sidewalk ends and say yes, hello. Yes, did you meet them? Yes. So I went oh, in and I said, hello. I said, I'm Leanne. Um, I know Claire Cook. And the woman uh, immediately whipped out her cell phone. She goes, have you seen Claire's hair? Doesn't, <laughs> she, doesn't she look great? I think I got like, like I don't know. Five or six hundred likes on that picture. It was so. crazy on Facebook. 
Oh, that's a riot. Yeah. That was the first thing she said. So, uh, and she found it. I was like, I love it. It looks great. And then there was the story in the book. So that was fun to read. That's hilarious. See, those are the things you could be out there talking up a book till you're blue in the face. You let your hair go gray. Everybody, everybody knows. So there's a lesson in that. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Next time we talk to you, you'll be on the cover of Vogue for all we know. I don't know. Maybe AARP. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. We're going to wrap up. We're talking to Claire Cook. You can find, Claire, your book is available where? Everywhere? It is. Yeah. Amazon. If you go to ClaireCook.com and um, you can click through to all the links, but Amazon, BNN, Kobo, you know, iBooks, wherever. But there's also, I forgot to say, there's also a free workbook that um, is kind of a companion to the book, which you can go. Yeah, you can go over. I just thought it would be fun to give a little extra gift to uh, keep people inspired in their reinventions. So if you go to ClaireCook.com, you can just download that on the spot um, right there. The book is Never Too Late, Your Roadmap to Reinvention Without Getting Lost Along the Way. Okay, that's the first thing you're going to do if you're going to reinvent yourself. So Claire, to people who are listening, they're ready to take the leap, maybe start that business they've been thinking about or go back to school. What's the second thing? Okay, they're going to buy your book first. What's the second okay, thing you're going to tell second, women? They're going to download the workbook. Yeah, and then, okay. So the <laughs> third, third thing, thing they know, should I'm do. <laughs> second thing, honestly, if you haven't admitted to yourself what you want to do, just own it. You know, admit it, write it down. If you don't know, um, that's your mission. Find out what what your reinvention is going to be. Just start putting the time in. And once I'm already up to three things, sorry. That's okay. Once once you um, have made the decision, just take one step, one little step in that direction. You know, it's not a race. You um, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, um, you know, even big changes happen one step at a time, which I think one of my one of my characters said, I don't even know what I'm quoting, but um, yeah, just, just start going in the right direction. It doesn't have to be perfect. It does. It, you know, it's um, you and I both know how many mistakes you make along the way. Right. Just keep heading for the light. We've been talking to Claire Cook. Always fun. The book is Never Too Late, Your Roadmap to Reinvention. You can go to SatelliteSisters.com for links to Claire's pages or go right to ClaireCook.com. Claire, thank you so, so much. I appreciate it. thank you so, so much, Leanne, for having me. I loved getting to talk to you again, and I have to meet you in person one day. I know. One day. One day. We'll get – now you've moved to Atlanta. I know. I know. That's That's exciting. You have to come here or I have to go there. Absolutely. We'll meet at a conference somewhere. Yeah, that I would love. Can come to that I would love. I'm waiting for the kids to leave. I'm just going to go to conferences all the time. Full time. Wouldn't conference that be fun? <laughs> I would love to do that. I would just yeah. We'll start a conference circuit, and everyone can come with us. <laughs> oh, thanks so much to Claire Cook. She is always so much fun to talk to. Her book is out now. Her new website is fully operational. And if you go to ClaireCook.com, you'll be able to sign up for her newsletter and download the free workbook she's talking about, in addition to getting a copy of her book, Never Too Late. Uh, the Road to Reinvention, fantastic. Many thanks to Claire. If you are new to Satellite Sisters, maybe this is the first time you've tuned in. You're a big Claire Cook fan. Welcome. 
system, we have years of podcasts available. Uh, we talk to all kinds of women and we talk about our lives. We would love to have you on board. You can go to SatelliteSisters.com to find out more about us. You can find us at iTunes or you can find us at Stitcher Radio or you can find us 